My guest today is a seasoned journalist and broadcaster who's probably best known by the Brits as a television critic for the BBC and GMTV, author Tina Baker, a daughter of a window cleaner and fairground traveller, is also a fitness instructor, which she soon became after winning a season of the US fitness television programme Celebrity Fit Club. But we are here to discuss books. Tina's debut novel, Call Me Mummy, was inspired by the writer's own unsuccessful attempts to become a mother. Despite the grief of that, she has yet to steal a child, she tells me, she promises, but she says she does rescue cats or steal them. We, we have yet to, to decide on that. So here to tell me and a very impromptu TGE book club more, all about it is Tina Baker. What a fantastic introduction. I, I noticed the word seasoned, by which you mean very old. I just Seas- mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's ancient. 30 years, that's something to go by, man. 30 years as a journalist. It's that's a amazing. long time. But now, I ca- when I watch the telly, um, I can't watch it in the same way because since I started writing my own stuff, there's too many fictional people in my brain. <laughs> you know, I have to binge things on Netflix and all at once, because otherwise, if it's once a week, I forget what's happening. My brain, thanks to lockdowns and shielding, um, right at the beginning, I couldn't even read, let alone write. And I just thought, uh, you know, I've lost it completely. But I'm now thankfully back reading, which I, I've always been passionate about, and thankfully back writing slower than normal. But uh, yeah, I'm back to it finally. Well, I'm fascinated, and I'm personally going to ask you some questions about your sort of writing process because I'm I'm keen to know more. I've been reading a lot lately, um, especially in um, sort of COVID times during lockdown. I got super back into it, but um. I, yeah, I'm keen to know how you more of how you balance that. I want to just before we get straight into the questions, I want to introduce the the impromptu TGE book, book club that uh, joins us today. So you guys can take yourselves off mute. We've got Tanya Klepais, uh, uh, uh talking about seasoned. Tanya is a, a seasoned TGE listener, a loyal listener and friend. Um, so pleased to have her here. And then Shanina Blitz, she is better known as at Tonic and Tiaras on Instagram. She was my book buddy for this, my, the, the first person to have read Call Me Mummy with me. Um, and she finished it like way sooner than I did. Hey, Shanine, you just ran through this book. It kept me occupied whilst waiting for kids in extramurals. Um, so thank you. <laughs> and last but never least, uh, Crazy Rio, Riona. Uh, she recently finished the book and, um, yeah, we've all been chatting more about it. Tanya also started and finished the book. She was – Tanya, repeat that story of how you, you sort of got into it. Well, I um, – yeah, so I realized yesterday I hadn't done my homework for <laughs> – for this podcast. So I, um, I started it yesterday afternoon and I finished it this morning. So race through it. I've got to say that it was, there's a lot of books that I love the prose of, you know, it's, it sounds like poetry. There's a lot of books that I adore the characters and can't kind of shake them. There haven't been a lot of books in my life that I literally couldn't put down. And this was one of them. I've got two kids at home, small children, 
four and under and um, a husband who also needs me and my attention from time to time. And I was literally sitting at the dinner table with your book, Tina, because I'm just like, I just, the chapters are sometimes beautifully short and like, just, you got to leap onto the next one. And you're just like, I'm sorry, I just, I need to know what happens. What's going to happen here? It was really, it's few and far between that that has ever happened to me in my life. So kudos to you for that. I think being a journalist, it wasn't like I set out to write something that was necessarily a page turner. But in journalism, I'm very used to self-editing. So when I came to edit the book, sometimes it was like putting more in rather than editing out. So, and also it's it's not a whodunit. The very first chapter, you know who did it because <laughs> the way I write, it's like what's fascinating for me is what makes somebody do something. I didn't know how it was going to end when I started. Really? That's I, fascinating. I, I promise you I have not stolen a child, but <laughs> the, other, the confession is I have wanted to. So I've not got kids. I've got cats. I was desperate to get pregnant. Uh, my husband is much younger than me. One of the first dates we ever went on, I did the big speech. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm old and my eggs have withered and died. I really don't think if, if this is serious, we'll have kids. Is that all right? And you know, our blokes are on a different planet. It's like, oh yeah, fine. And, and to be fair, he went through all the IVF stuff with me, but he was quite cool about it. Whereas I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> sobbing my guts up every, five minutes and it didn't happen and and after that I was sort of reeling I think partly the hormonal stuff you know they pump you through hormones and then you fall off a cliff and I went straight from IVF into menopause yay and I began to you know I've always written but I, I thought you know if not now when all of that energy creative energy sort of went into writing the story of what if I'd have given in full of hormones, mm-hmm. full of, you know, being unhinged and taken a child I thought was being maltreated because the mummy character, how do you make anybody empathetic, sympathetic, who's actually done the worst thing you could possibly do? Um, and it's partly based on my own mum, which is quite dark, but her religious fervour ah. when she thought she saving this child my mum was actually abused by Welsh nuns you know there's a little twist on the normal theme and some of the Catholicism I grew up with was very warped you didn't really have a role you were either a mother or a nun or a whore that was it there didn't seem to be you know um other options yeah that time so that's what she was based on and the character the mother whose child is stolen a working class woman who smokes drinks has tattoos uh again that's my background I know how people look at me when I open my mouth if I'm not self-editing you know if I just go for it in my (laughs) drinking I no longer drink but in my drinking days you know I'd have a fag on people judge you and as a woman and as a mother I think you can't win. You're either too fat, you're too thin, you're either too involved and pushy or you don't care enough. And as a journalist, seeing those headlines, I just sort of wanted to explore both sides. So until I wrote the ending, I didn't know 
what was going to happen. And in the middle of all of this, this new voice popped up, the little girl herself, who's me, you know, the stroppy little kid Mm. growing up. I was not the daughter my mother wanted. I was stroppy and bolshy. And again, I I swore quite a bit as a child. It was just where I where I grew up, how I grew up. Mm-hmm. So that was a new character that just popped up out of nowhere. So two things, you know, um, and that you are more than welcome to unfilter yourself on on this podcast. I'm pretty sure everybody um, here will not be super offended if you if you remove that filter. But um, as your word is going out into the wild and you do have a professional image to keep. So with respect to that. Um, and then secondly, my, my first question for those and I'm going to backtrack a little bit for those who are perhaps in the dark here. Give us your elevator pitch for, so you've spoken a little bit about the characters and how they reflect different parts of you. But um, so for those who sort of haven't read the book, we've all read the book here, but for those who haven't, what is it all about? What's that elevator pitch? It's a woman who steals a child she thinks is being abused because she fervently believes she's going to give give her, the child, a better life. And it's a story of the mother who's vilified by the press and social media for not being the perfect mother. And it's also um, because I didn't have kids and really wanted kids. I always doubted what sort of mother would you be if you got no experience and suddenly you ended up with a child, what would happen? So it's the story of that as well. Um, I looked after my God twins once. So so you'll laugh at this, all you mums. But I can remember I'd got the whole day planned and they'd had a bath and they'd had the breakfast and we'd been to the park. We'd had an ice cream. We played all the games their mother had packed for me and watched the television. And it was only half past 11. And I can remember just sending (laughs) a message saying, what do I do now? You know, oh, I'd thrown everything at it. And then it's like, I was exhausted. And that was just with two of them. (laughs) It's like, how do you manage? There was always the doubt within me, what sort of mother would you be? And of course, even with the cats, I I think, am I a good enough mother? (laughs) So, you know, in some ways, perhaps it's a blessing in disguise. I never got, um, you know, a human child. Well, I love what I love most about the book is how unapologetically self-indulgent it is in that way. And I hope uh, it doesn't come across as offensive, Yatina, but it... um, you know, a lot of writers are like, oh, no, I made that character up. Totally. Like, it's, it's got nothing to do with me or my life. And where you're like, oh, no, that's, that's all me. I'm like in there, <laughs> in this book. So, yeah, it, I find fascinating. I don't know what, what was your guys's, the, um, you know, Rio, Shanine, Tanya, what was your guys's favorite part of the book? I love the self-indulgence of it and, and exploring that, that side of the author. I wonder, because as you're talking now, I wonder if not being a mom almost allowed you to be a bit more honest about how hard it is to be a mom. And I think, I mean, obviously, Mm. it's very extreme situations. Like in the book, I mean, both of them are very extreme mothers. But but I think you kind of, you know, it is quite, um, it's quite gritty. And it's, you know, you, you delve into kind of their thoughts and what they're thinking. And we've all kind of, had those uncomfortable thoughts at some point. But I think as moms, we're kind of like we squash them down and we don't necessarily 
reveal them. So I, I wonder how, I mean, do you think that not being a mom made you almost more brutally honest? Yeah, and, and obviously I pushed it to extremes. So, you know, we talk not just about postnatal depression, it's about, you know, postnatal psychosis, because no normal person does the things that these women, you know, are pushed to do. But the, but the other honest answer is I could not have written that book when my own mother was alive, because I would have felt I was betraying her or letting her down. So, you know, we're all somebody's daughter as well as somebody's mother. Mm. My mothering is just not for a human child. It's for the furry things that are currently costing me an arm and a leg in vet bills. But also my mothering takes place in my classes when I'm teaching my keep fit. I'm like a mother hen. You know, so just because I'm not a mother in a conventional sense, it's like I've still got those feelings. Um, the brutally honest bits, um, I had to get out of my own way sort of thing to give myself permission to talk about stuff like abuse, um, to talk about things like alcoholism, to talk about things like anorexia, you know, all those sort of hard things that I have experienced variation shades of, you know, I was fat and I went on Celebrity Fit Club and got within a normal weight range. My brother was 30 stone. He was morbidly obese. My mother was anorexic at one point. Um, you know, so it's like all of those hard things. I think um, I really wanted to be honest about it's the internal things. I've, I've seen a lot of thrillers like James Bond's like the... the um, a really good example is you don't really see his motivation up until the recent films. It's all action. It's sort of quite a, a male brain. This happened and then that happened and then the next thing happened and all cliffhangers. And mine's much more internal. Why did that happen? Why did the thoughts sort of cycling round make that happen? So that's the way I write, I suppose. Shanine, you had you had your hand up. What did you what did you want to say? So I think a bit of the process you've just explained for me. Um, from my perspective, I always wanted to be a mom. So I think understanding that, relating it, and then I appeared and I thought I had it more ready. And I think we're never ever ready for whatever happens or comes our way, and we think we're going to be prepared and. And I love the the delving into, um, like we've been saying, is the honesty of it. Um, I I've, I definitely think generally we all hold ourselves up at a higher level. And I love the fact that the social media aspect was brought in because I feel like then we've got those extra eyes. So it was so relatable throughout because of trying to, I guess we always want that this is the good person, this is the bad person, because like you even mentioned with Hollywood, the James Bond, we you know where everybody stands. And as you read, you you kind of realize that exactly that, the, the motivation and the layers. So, and I guess that's what's kept us all sort of thinking and excited to sort of be able to just talk about <laughs> without giving it away. So, so thank you. Oh, God bless you. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, 
it, it's sort of unusual, even with the, it's apparently a crime, psychological thriller, domestic noir. These are all labels I didn't even know existed until uh, going on there. So, it, you know, that's where it falls in. But I just wrote a book from the heart. Um, interestingly, you say the social media because it's kept me going. Um, yes, we all know there's a very dark side of trolls and, you know, it's dead easy to judge somebody else based on, you know, a tiny fraction of what that person is. But throughout lockdown and shielding because age and asthma, um, social media, you know, it's how I've met you guys, really. It's yeah. like me sitting in my house talking to you tonight. It's a night out for me. I've, I've allowed myself to go to work and go to book promotion things, but I'm always scared. I mean, I'm triple jabbed now. So, you know, and, and as soon as you think you can get back out there, we've got a new, better variant for Christmas. So it's, um, you know, I can't see an exact end to this apart from doing Zoom calls and going on Instagram and finding you on Instagram and Twitter and that. I've really enjoyed that. Um, it's, it's a connection for me. It's international. I've not been abroad for four years. Um, the last holiday on a, you know, that I got an aeroplane was for my sixth year. And I think I don't, I can't see when I'm ever going to get out of Britain again, you know, at the moment. So thank you for just being there. You know, social media has got a really good side as well as all the evil. <laughs> Tina, I want to circle back uh, to to the story and to the empathy we feel in the very beginning for Mummy, who's this evil, twisted, sick, demented character who does something awful and we found out additional awful things she does later on and you're horrified. I messaged Shanine, who was reading the book with me at the time, not to give not to give it away, but, you know, it was a bathtub scene, let's put it that way. And I was like, I don't know if I can read this anymore and it happened about the same it was super triggering actually and to my surprise because it happened at the same time that um the child killings in New Zealand happened um with that South African mom and I was like yo I thought this was gonna be a light-hearted read and this you know thing might be happening I won't reveal exactly what it was but I was super anxious messaging Shanine at the time but then yeah, I won't reveal any more about that, but you do feel still the empathy for this character. And I know I haven't prepared you for this, Tina, but I know you're going to roll with it. Um, you've got a book with you, right? So could I indulge a little bit myself and ask you to read um, from I Was Deemed Too Thin on page 31 to the end of the page? I'd like to chat more about that context of of how mummy has been through IVF, wants to be a mother and experience and what she thinks about, about motherhood and how she has now acquired this child illegally, thinking she's done the right thing and um, how she wants to rename her. her. The child's name is Tonya. That, is that how you pronounce it, Tonya? Okay. Yes. So she's uh, for to contextualize it for our listeners. She uh, she has acquired this child, and um, she's kind of thinking on that, and you know, sort of uh, being introspective around that. So yeah, from I was deemed too thin, page thirty one. I was deemed too thin. 
That judgment killed my hopes, my dreams, as if I should turn into a wallowing, blubbery sow. As if the fat I sloughed off and fought tooth and nail to keep at bay could make me a mother. I did everything the medical experts advised and demanded. I gave up so much smoking, drinking, much of my inheritance, my dignity. I just couldn't seem to put on enough weight to satisfy the draconian doctors. But I could not risk a return to the maggoty, bloated body of my youth. The miracle procedures were hormonal hell, and for what? Mine was a hopeless quest. The promise of my own child dangled in front of me by the great gods of science and then denied me by cruel mother nature. Life snatched from me, clawed from my womb again and again, hope dying on the bathroom floor, in an ambulance, in a hospital bed. I was never to be a mother. I would read about the enchanted lives of the famous uber mummies in their magical expensive bubbles and weep. Unfair that they should have so much, so many when I ached for just one. Although I didn't begrudge them those children, not at all, unlike some female journalists who snit and snark and snipe with their perfectly procreated babies wrapped snug in their smug beds. But celebrities don't do much of the actual mothering themselves, do they? An army of nannies and assistants at their disposal. But surely the point is to prepare a child's food, wipe their smeared faces and clean up after them. To be there with them rather than far away on some film set. A good mother keeps her children safe without the help of bodyguards. Your job as a mother is to nurture and guide and offer advice, to give them a moral compass. I vow to be here for Tonya, although I must never call her that again. Tonight I will pray for a new name to come forward for her. Wow. Who knew reading scary? It's like, hot flush. <laughs> it's always so great to hear an author read their own words. Hey guys, what did you think? Everyone's nodding. It's so great. It's so I love it. And I I'm I'm sorry I should have prepared you, but you know, you're all with so it. It's like mummy mummy's voice is quite snotty compared mm. to mine. You know what I mean? She's a bit snooty. So her background is she's had elocution lessons and she lives in this Jane Austen world. Mm. Um, and that hate self-hatred of physical fat. So I didn't, my IVF failed because I was too old and I knew it, you know, I knew the, the, the statistics and I didn't want, you know, I discussed it with my husband. We didn't really want to go through egg donation. And after we'd gone through the IVF and, and all the miscarriage stuff, I didn't have it in me to adopt or I couldn't foster because I knew I'd be dying my hair and fleeing the country. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've even felt that when I fostered cats, it's like I've kept everyone. So I knew foster, it's like I've never given them back. And it's like, oh, we'll adopt them. Yeah, give us another one. Um, so I knew fostering was out. Adoption, I just felt that I would be judged. Um, and I was at a really low ebb after you know, the IVF thing. So I know about um, really the emotional bit about, you know, on the bathroom floor of mm. like, you know, literally in a fetal position, just like groaning. And it's like, oh, here we go again. It's not worked. But that self-hatred with fat is my day job. Like I'm the anti-trainer. It's like, you know, as long as you're not 
um, medically overweight. I was medically overweight. My mm. brother was medically morbidly obese. My mother never was. And she had Crohn's disease and just, uh, you know, a combination of her own mental illness and her own, you know, it's very uncomfortable to eat with Crohn's disease. And also you, you need to know where the loo is at all time. She just stopped eating. And at the end of the day, she had a heart attack and died because of that as much as, you know, the state of her heart. So it's like, you know, again, that's that thing with women. Um, we can't win because, and it's how she looks at celebrities. You know, magazines, I've worked on women's magazines. You know, we delight in pulling apart pictures. Oh, she's used a filter. Oh, she's not used a filter. I don't know why I'm doing that noise. Oh, she's... <laughs> different parts oh she's used to filter oh, she's not used to filter oh don't she look old oh she's had a facelift oh look at her cellular you know it's like oh my god you know I've not been to the hairdressers for two years but when I used to go to the hairdressers that's you see people flicking through the pictures and we all do it to a certain extent mm. on Instagram we've all seen the Madonna pictures same age as me and it's like What's she doing? Put it away, love, you know. And then the other bit of me is like, yeah, show her Madonna. And I, I, we're all quite conflicted, I think. I do wonder, there are guys in my class who are now as similar with that self-hatred and the perfectionism as women. So that's something new. When I started teaching Keep Fit, it was nearly always about weight loss. And I think slowly it is changing. The younger women are a bit more, celeb you know, like Lizzo. You, yes. you know, it's like, I'm proud how I am. Take it or leave it. I can sing better than you. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of a wish for young people. I've not got my own daughter, but if I had my own daughter, it's like celebrate your wins because life's got enough, enough knocks coming mm. up like mm. you said it's just like you plan and plan and plan and then there's a curveball so that curveball might be not getting a baby that curveball might be covid for god's sake you know we don't know what's around the corner so celebrate any win you speak about younger women and i think all of us in this in the zoom room would agree rio and and shanine on the having daughters um level as well I think we all rally against that and all of the the kind of cultural, you know, context of what women should be. I think we we do have these discussions on on the daily of you know what? Fuck that shit. I'm not I'm not yes. going there, you know. I, I think all of us are nodding. I've had conversations with each one of you individually about this. And thank you, Tina, for, for writing about it so beautifully. I think what fascinates me about this book is that you these, – these are very real, very dark issues, abuse. Um, yeah. no, it's not even fat phobia. It's self-hatred. That's what it is. Yeah. It's self-hatred. And, and I'm a walking trigger warning. It's taken <laughs> – you've got chance – Ladies, you, you really have your daughters have got a better chance. You know, mm. each generation, I think, have got a better chance to just, you know, I'm, I'm not into the American Oprah Winfrey. I love myself. I'm not <laughs> there yet. But just to sort of accept and like it, you know, I'm very British with that. It's like, you know, all the affirmation stuff of loving yourself. I, I don't, you know, it's just too embarrassing. Can't do it. 
But just putting it out there and saying, yeah, I've been abused. Um, my mum had mental illness issues. I wanted to steal a child, you know, in, in my, I, you know, I can remember like looking at this little kid being screamed at in the supermarket and feeling like it was like somebody stabbing me in the heart. And it's like, God, why didn't I? Why wasn't I allowed to have a kid? Because even at my worst, surely I would have done a better job mm. than that. Mm. And also, you know, you, you talk about what happened in New Zealand, in Britain, the Madeleine McCann case, which is international. What would have happened if those parents had been not middle class people, but, you know, a bit scummy? You know, that scummy yeah. mummy yeah. Um, I just thought they would have been crucified, absolutely mm. crucified. And, and my background's very working class, grew up in a caravan. So even as a writer, I judge myself, you know, talk about imposter syndrome. I don't know many writers who I know working class writers, but I don't know anybody who's come from, from a background. I'm the first one to go to university, but my mum had difficulty writing because when you go around the fairgrounds, you don't get a lot of schooling. My granddad couldn't write his name. He wrote his name with an X. So reading and writing has always been really important for me. Uh, not because my mum and dad sort of said, you've got to do it. It's something I've discovered for myself. And I think that little bubble of escapism particular where you look outside it's like in Britain at the minute this a storm blowing a hooli um it's cold everybody's broke I've just spent my entire Christmas budget on the cat who had to have an operation you, you know it's like life has blows but also I'm really privileged I don't live in a caravan anymore I live in a nice flat in London I've got a nice bloke finally I've Kiss more frogs than I want to know. Um, and like the like Kim, the woman who loses the child, her bloke is a good enough bloke. He's not Rhett Butler. He's not uh, Mr. Darcy. He's a good enough bloke. Mm. He's a nice man, but he's flawed. <laughs> a question. Tanya, yeah. go for it. I think it's more of a, yeah. So I, I, I think as well, maybe what the point we're trying to get to here as well is that also just that sometimes when we see people like we see the ugly the ugly sort of moments and that actually that doesn't mean anything about their parenting or their motivations or their their heart and their lives and that obviously comes from social media as well but something that I find interesting is the this I think that societally we have this idea that um, rich white parents make the best parents and and actually, that's completely not, it's not true because you can, I mean, it's obvious that love is not enough to really support and raise a child to be there, you know, to reach their potential. But I think the idea that, um, you know, that the, you know, this kind of scummy mummy, you know, she loved her kids, but she was having a hard day and whatever else, you know. And so I think that is, that for me was also one of the things I loved about this book is this idea that, actually from the outside what you see is not necessarily you know it is it's that good enough he was the good enough dad she was a good enough mother yeah and and uh, anybody who likes animals <laughs> I've got this real childlike thing anybody who likes animals um can't be all bad where did that come from but um 
you know, I like animals in my books and mommy's not very kind to animals. You know to which I refer, those of you who've read it. And Kim loves that dog. And again, I, I think animals are the part of yourself that's, you know, quite primitive. You know, it's like hugging a child um, is as good as sometimes as the latest video game. So my husband's a gamer like Steve, the husband um, in this. Mm. And I, I just didn't get it for a very long time. I <laughs> just like, what? He's playing games all day. <laughs> But I get that you need your own like switch off. And I it just happens that my relaxation and escapes in a book, not a video game, I suppose. But yeah, it's um people with money. Um, I think we have, well, I have, particularly growing up, not having money. You think that the people who've got the wherewithal to treat kids with money are doing it better. Celebrities are doing it better because you only see the edited bits, you know. And, and I think now that's changing. I think celebrities are putting um, warts and all uh, and admitting things. And the huge difference um, I've seen in social media over the last couple of years is men are talking about mental health issues as well now. Mm. Um, and, and the more we talk about, you know, I'm flawed. I have huge levels of anxiety, huge depression. Um, I use exercise as a way to manage that now rather than eating 10 packets of biscuits. Um, you know, I've got my cats who are, I can sublimate some of my mothering on them. Sometimes they don't want it. You know, they're just looking at me. It's like, do I really have to be stroked again? Um, <laughs> You know, so it's it's find what works for you, isn't it? Um, the the mummy character, awful things have happened to her, awful things. But she's not had any counselling or therapy. She's like drinking away the horrors of her past. I went through many years of that, and actually, eventually, um, it doesn't work anymore. So I've stopped drinking, and I'm getting you know help and therapy and stuff. So it does deal with dark stuff you know um it so happens that the next novel which is out in in february also dark stuff but i hope there's enough humor there because um gallows humor very dark humor because that's how a lot of working class families things are rubbish but um you know you can have a laugh and i i'm the first to make a joke at my own expense and it lightens the mood even in the middle of my i will often laugh at laugh and cry at the same time you know it's like oh I'm going to die and then I catch myself and I can laugh at myself and it's the saving grace I think just to be able to laugh um so yeah Tonya and some of the scenes are awful but there's there's some jokes in there as well because otherwise it sounds so bleak (laughs) was it was it therapeutic yeah oh god yes writing that oh god yes I thought I'd get electrocuted at one point. I was sobbing so much into my computer. Um, I often sob. uh, And sometimes I chuckle. I sob and chuckle at the same time. (laughs) So, yeah. um, So some of the research, it's internal. But some of it, like I did go to the local mother care shop, which now no longer exists, but it was a chain of mother and baby shops and had a complete meltdown, an asthma attack in there because it was just like, when I did my MA in creative writing, it was like, go somewhere you've never been before. 
And lots of people sort of went to gay nightclubs and I've done that. Uh, and it was like, oh, where have I never been? It was, oh, I've never been to a mother and baby shop. Oh my God, you know, seeing like the little tiny socks. It just went straight in. And I think they thought I was having a bit, I was having a bit of a meltdown. So that was the original idea to be in that mother of mother and baby shop thinking, you know, I, I haven't got the ticket, the golden ticket to be here. So tell me more about that, that writing process. You started there. I'm fascinated. Um, you know, what, what do you do? What did you do? And you've just finished your, your second novel, which is coming out soon. So uh, the second one's finished, edited, and that's yeah. out. Uh, that's out in February. That one is another laugh fest. So it's about the, the battle of the sexes and class warfare, and when marriages go horribly wrong, and who's going to kill the other, the wife or the husband? Set just before Christmas, when it's all the tensions building up like a pressure cooker, and it's just like, oh. can you guys feel it? I can feel it. I, it's Christmas now. Tension is building up. Tension so is building up. It, that idea came to me. I heard one woman in the gym. She wasn't even my client, but she just says, "I've ju- excuse the language, it's a direct quote. I've just decorated the effing tree, and I've just written the Christmas cards for him. And you know, if he signs his name on his mother's fucking present, you think he'd split the atom. And it's like that. Christmas, gay men and women. Christmas is all on us, basically." And it's like when life's going on and that's the extra outside pressure. So there's no, uh, you know, as a journalist, I've covered the fact that there are more calls to the Samaritans at this time of the year. Mm. There are more calls to women's refuges at this time of the year. And also I made the protagonist, like me, uh, quite strong physically because I'm sick of seeing stories where the woman's a victim. So you don't know which way it's going to go. You know, she's a personal trainer who's done kickboxing. So it's not just, uh, you know, woman as as a victim. And and sadly, despite all of that, women are the victims. So, you know, disproportionate number of women are victims. So you can't get away from that. But I wanted it to be a physical fight, but it's a physical fight to the death. That's the basic story, but it's all everything that informs that. It's their parents. It's what's happened to them in the past. It's the attitudes of people they work with. And it's, um, it's, uh, the nasty little cuts. There's a line in the book of like, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, it's all those tiny little words or being ignored or having the extra thing to do, queuing at the post office to get your presents on. And it's about the kids. So there are two kids in this, and I love them both. There's a a dog called Get Down Lulu, based on one of the actual dogs I had when I was growing up, uh, who would sit on your lap, and she was a great dame. So that was never going to work. And the two kids who are ones, you know, like the princess, the little the little girl who loves, like me, pink, unicorns, things like that. <laughs> and the little lad who's just a force of nature, who's just the kinetic whirlwind of demands. <laughs> and again, based on real children. And there's, it's, it's who, in a relationship, who shoulders that? Mm. Who takes that on? And what would it take, those little hairline cracks in the psyche, 
the man's psyche as well as her psyche to push you to that absolute explosion. And again, it's leaning into things. I've had physical fights with men. Um, I have instigated physical fights with men and I've defended myself. I've also um, been in situations where I've sort of fought my way out of situations that could go very bleak. So the physicality of fighting, and I have done boxing and kickboxing, it's quite cathartic. I really recommend it, you know, (laughs) for me to get rid of like fury um, you know, there's nothing better than doing a keep fit class or hitting something very hard. Listen, I, if I'm in London again, one day it's going to happen. I'm going to get to London. I've been there a few times. I'm going to go there again. I'm going to, I don't know about you guys, but if you're ever in London, London with me, we're going to a keep fit class. Just, yeah. you know, Come heads up. It's going to, Yeah. I'm down. I'm down for that. And I'm down also to read nasty little cuts. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> it sounds Ooh, amazing. I like the faces, reactions there. It's like, no, I'm keen. I'm keen. I might like book buddy with my husband and be like, okay, bloke, oh, let's. <laughs> my husband does read all of this. Um, you know, he's one of the first readers. He's got no choice. Um, so, yeah. Um, He's my third husband. I, so again, that I almost edited that. He's my third husband. So the first one buggered off with his secretary, but now he's died, so I can't hate him anymore. The second one was, it was during the Yugoslav conflict. So um, he his brother was a, a translator for one of my journalist friends. And if I'd have not, he was a boyfriend who I married, so he didn't have to go back and fight in a war. So I felt, you know, that was a, a good deed, really. Mm. But I wouldn't have married him. You know, we'd only been going out for a few months. But, you know, so that was like, um, that was a different sort of relationship. And I didn't meet my my hopefully last husband until 20 years ago. And we've been together, you know, exactly everything's crossed this time. <laughs> um, and for all of my faults and his faults, we've got a different sort of relationship We've both got very dark backgrounds. So his dad uh, died recently, chronic alcoholic. Uh, my parents hated each other for the entire marriage. It was fights and fights and arguments. You know, I remember being in the caravan when my dad ripped the door off the caravan and he, he was a window cleaner at night. He played in a band and she tried to put a stiletto through his hand so he couldn't go out playing about. So that was, you know, it's not a nice middle class upbringing. Mm. So if you've been in that warfare as a child, I think this is where some of the anxiety is like hiding behind the sofa with mum and dad, not just arguing over a nice dinner party, but trying to kill each other. Mm. It's like. So, yeah, that, that again, some of the research for that is internal as well as, you know, um, some of the stuff that I don't want to give away yet. But, yeah, you'll know the bits I had to research. Well, I'm super, super looking forward to it. Uh, put it on my TBR, guys, t- uh, speaking about uh, TGE's current reads. I'm going to put Rio on the spot. Rio, you can say something or not. But uh, Rio disclosed to me in confidence, and I'm going to out her, that (laughs) she was was not happy with the ending. And another one of our readers who read along with us, Yulette, was not happy with the ending. 
of Call Me Mummy in particular because yeah. I know why. I why? Know why. Tell us, Tina. There were two endings. I wrote both endings and it was the publisher's call. Tell us, and tell us why. So what was the what was the alternate ending? I think you know what the alternate ending would be. Does she get caught? Does <laughs> she get caught? Well, if you've read the very last chapter, there's the incident where it could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one was divine retribution and the other one wasn't. So okay. I was either going to go through, you know, the Dr. Hannibal Lecter last scene in Silence of the Lambs when he just walks off saying, I'm having an old friend for dinner. That was one ending. And the other ending was sort of a divine justice um, I wrote both of them. I wrote both of them and submitted the Divine Justice one because I felt it was in keeping with all the religious stuff. Mm-hmm. And the publisher uh, asked to see the other ending and decided on that. I enjoyed the other ending. I disagreed with with Rio on this. I enjoyed the other ending. I love the I love the fact that it's controversial. I, I like to, I like something to not, I love cozy crime. I do love cozy crime, but I've not read a lot of it. A lot of my contemporaries read, I've read, you know, like Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie. Mm. And I haven't, I haven't read any of that. So mine's not, there are again, different sort of things like puzzles or a locked room mystery or, and I'm not like that. I, I'm a bit more visceral. I've got to feel it. So I don't plot it out. I've got a general feeling of where it's going. But as I say, um, I, I, there were some things I knew I wanted in there, but then it sort of veers away. I just try to write little and often because I've got a full-time job. Um, and I'm physically very knackered all the time. And I know I've got not got a leg to stand on because I've not got kids, but it's a physical job. And I'm quite, I'm teaching people who are literally old enough to be mm. my, not children, but grandchildren now. And it's exhausting. Saturday morning, making them do burpees. And it's like, yeah, but I've got a dodgy hip. <laughs> Give me a break. Let me just <laughs> tell you what. You do the rest of it, you know, and I, I, it's like I'd love to be able to be a lady writer and just, you know, write on retreat by the sea. But that ain't me. Mm. You know, I've got to earn a living. Um, and, you know, the cat bills are extraordinary. Right. <laughs> really right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? Firstly, I have to say, never, ever downplay your exhaustion because you're not a mom. I say that to my single girlfriends uh, yeah, all the time. Me. You're right, though. But that's that's. My mind loop, um, I say sorry dozens of times a day. And then when my husband says, don't say sorry, I apologize for saying sorry. (laughs) So that's that, you know, my um, exaggeration of that is Catholic guilt. You know, when Mm. they literally flail themselves, Mm -hmm. um, I've internalized some of that. My mum was really big on that really big on that blesser so you know but I, I don't think it's just women but I think women do it better yeah for sure <laughs> self-flagellation for sure Rio we do. you've been super quiet yeah. you did want to say something yeah, look yeah, how I'm comfortable you look I'm so no, envious I'm so jealous bed chains <laughs> whatever it is it's so gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> so yeah sorry <laughs> I'm hiding from my children right now so if you yeah. wanted one 
you you should have you, you should have just called me i have a few extra lying around here um <laughs> i think my favorite part of the book and i'm i'm so happy that you brought that up when you spoke earlier that you know the extra voice was a little girl and just thinking and just listening to everybody talk right now i don't think that the book would have been as incredible without that voice my favorite part was reading this little girl um and and just just like how how like raw and rough she spoke like you know she just spoke as she was and no matter how hard this woman tried to be her mother she wanted her mother you know and that that for me was just like the most heartwarming oh, um part of that book thank you so much i love tonya tonya is like like the the daughter i had was one so my mum wanted a doll bless her and i can always remember this this um happened at school one of those little fancy dress things and she dressed me up as a geisha girl and it lasted 35 seconds and i was running around the playground like a mad thing and bits dropped off you know there were like uh, knitting needle things and buns and that dropped off and that dropped off and she glued uh things onto my sandals to make like little geisha hobble things they fell apart <laughs> and she levered me you know she literally beat the living daylights out of me because she worked to make this thing and now i can look back and feel it's funny but i was terrified at the time it's like what have i done i've just mm. been playing Oh she went mental. I mean, you know, sorry that's the wrong way to say it, but she did go mental because she had mental health issues. But she went like you are not the perfect daughter. So, um the fact that some people have said why does that child swear? And it's like what planet do you live on? That's how I grew up. Yeah. Um my dad swore every other word. I swore from a very it was like one of the first words I I knew, you know, fuck this fuck that. That's how I was brought up. I have learned to temper that because I used to get walloped at school. I'm of the era that you tell a teacher to fuck off because I didn't know any different. <laughs> I you know, I'm, I'm very badly brought up. It's oh fuck. <laughs> and I'd be the teacher and then you go home and it's like what was school like? I want to have the teacher fuck off and hit me and then you get battered at home as well so now I can laugh at it and think well I know we're all driven to despair but it's sort of a generational thing as well um you don't thank the lord see it quite as much in public now but um and it's not just a class thing either there are many forms of bad parenting um which i say I'm, i'm obsessed with a series called succession at the moment uh, on british television it's Amer- american but it's basically king lear and in the most privileged of um families and they're all monsters but they're all very flawed traumatized monsters so it's like i like it there's very few hannibal lecters in the world but there's many flawed human beings who in the right pressurized circumstances can do really bad things and i don't know why that fascinates me so much it's like as a person i'm quite bubbly but i've got a very dark heart obviously <laughs> stuff that i write it's like I had a dream last night and my husband's head coming off because I'm writing an, another novel where there is a bit of decapitation and literally in my dreams it was like I had to wake up this morning and and sort of say to him how's your head <laughs> <laughs> I think I dreamt your head coming off last night 
Well, your dark and twisty mind is what has us all here tonight. Tired moms though we be, we um, we are here gathered and I can't thank you enough. I, I, I need to round I this up. I don't want to yeah. round this up. I don't want to, but I, I want to ask the rest of our book club, our impromptu TGE book club, um, if you have any final thoughts or questions or, you know, points that you want to make on that, now is the time. You guys good? I have one more question. I have all of you. Okay, yeah. go, go. Tanya, you go, go and then go. Shanine, you're next. I, I just wanted to, is there a reason why you wrote Mummy in the first person and everybody else? And I, although Such a I, good question. I love that. Was, but now was, Tanya, Tanya I think was also in first person. Am I right? Um, it's, I, I started writing from mummy's point of view. Uh, okay. and it's like you say that and it's really obvious now, but it wasn't obvious as I was writing. And I felt it was too hard. If you're just in one character, I want, I always knew I wanted to be in mummy's mind. That was, you know, first person, but it's sort of, you've got to describe other things. So to have, it was almost like Kim's point of view. It's like she has things done to her. Mm. So that that's how that evolved. And yeah, Tonya was just a voice that just came through very clearly. Um, I'm, I'm just so chuffed that Rio liked her uh, because, you know, she tickles me. Um, there's something about the energy of her that, that yeah. So it, it wasn't, it just sort of, it, it did organically happen. And then once it became apparent, there was a reason, more of a reason for it. And there are like little other short chapters from other people's point of view, just to give me a breathing space. Cause it's also, you know, just different mm. points of view. It's like, it's like you're actually just, you're kind of reading her mind unravel. Yes. I think that, and so you're, like you were saying, like when you write the other characters, like things are happening to them and, you know, it's the, the world kind of at large, but She's so much in her head and yes. you're kind of watching it all just. That, that's exactly yeah. why, because I wanted to be in there with that process. Shanine, what, what were you going to say or ask? So I, I love the, the whole concept of the flawed person because that is more realistic. I think we, we all can relate to that on so many levels, not just as whether we're moms or not moms. And but there was something that really struck me and I don't know if it was through research, but I also don't want to give away. It was just about the integration back into family um, and how not being able to, so all this has happened, this is all you've wanted. And now to try and integrate, I mean, from that perspective and it also fitting back in, but also between the, siblings you know it, it was so so much depth and I just wanted to know because I thought that was so clever mm. because time had passed time had tell me what I'm allowed to and not say I know it's hard, it's hard let's put it this way so for for those who are yet to read the book if spoilers irritate you a lot and you yeah. are anti it maybe cut off now because we're like less than five minutes away from from cutting it but I mean this is a book club 
And so for those who have yeah. read it and enjoyed the book, as all of us have, let's play open cards here. Shanine, yeah. go for it. If you don't mind that, Tina, to put it that oh, way. No, so I, I absolutely, it's, it's so brilliant that you brought that up because that was one of the few things I knew I wanted to not end when the child is found. Mm. I always knew I want, wanted the child to be found, at, you know, and it could have changed, but also I didn't want to end it there. I'm, I, it's like that's not the interesting thing for me. It's like what happens next, that the resolution is not the reunion. So many years ago on Breakfast Television, I used to produce a series called Family Reunions, and it would be, oh, you've not seen your father for 20 and it's like why and then all the extra things you know if you've not seen you know that's not this book but it was like well what happens next you've got the big hug that that all the telly is interested in is the big reunion the big hug but it's like what happens next everybody's moved on for a year what would the siblings the friends you know the the whole thing the press what would they make of it? So it it is it's it's a short winding up um, of the story, but I just didn't want it to be end there. Mm. It's very frustrating for me to just say, and then they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, and yeah. you know it it doesn't work like that. You, you know it's it it's it's a process, isn't it? So I'm really glad that you like that because I've not read many books that explored that little bit. I know it's a short bit mm. at the end of mine, but it was very clear in my mind from the beginning. So I, I love that as well because appearances changed as they were changing and trying to deal with their grief. So she was now having to see her parents, not remember. And that, that really struck me because I thought, wow, that, that, that is realistic I think we do lose I mean you can only imagine and I think that's why we thank you I just because for me I was like but that's I would assume that would happen Mm. you know yeah I mean obviously there's some research into like the social services bit but literally the only experience of this I'd got is one of my cats came back from the animal hospital they all like each other and every single one of them just hissed at him because they'd forgotten in a week that he existed <laughs> and he's different. So it's like, you know, it's a weird reconnecting with mm. somebody. Like my, my current husband buggered off with a barmaid and he, we were estranged for about nine months. Uh, and when he came back, it, it's a different relationship mm. now. I think it's a better relationship. He'd definitely say as well, it's a better relationship now because we got to know each other again and reconnected in different ways. So, yeah. I love that um, she comes back and there's parts of her that are better behaved for Kim. Yes. Yes, almost. (laughs) And and that made me think because, oh, today, I mean, I've been sipping on like a triple whiskey, whatever my husband poured for me today because I've really struggled with my four-year-old. And now that I'm thinking about it, I thought, you know, when I was reading the book, we struggle on the daily with our kids to just how do we, we can't say mold these people because they're their own people, but like, how do we best raise these people? We struggle with it. And I think we lose sight of, well, what if they just weren't there? What if someone took them 
let's get back to basics of why we love them so much. And Kim gets her child back. Um, spoiler alert yet again for those yeah. listening. But Kim gets her child back and then um, it, 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 fuck the good behavior. Who cares? You know, yeah. she's got her baby. She's got her child. And that was very striking for me. So Janine yeah. also really loved that part. I, I did wonder, my niece, when she was very, very young, had leukemia, and I wondered at that point, she's fine uh, now, thank God, but it was like, would it be better to never have a child, to have one that you lost? So that, I think, was in my mind as well. And then it's like, and when you get it back, it, it's, you know, I suppose if we looked back onto that family a year on, it would be more normal. You know, rather than that literally sleeping on the floor like a dog next to the bed because you couldn't believe she was there. And it's almost like you didn't dare let her out of your sight again. So, yeah. So I'm going to round off. I'm going to ask uh, the the guys, ladies in this the Zoom room to stick around for two minutes after we, we close off. But Rio, do you have any final thoughts or everybody's had a turn but you? I just wanted to find out, is there like a specific reason or, or is it just because the kid was, she was so um, happy to be back with her family and like out of that house that she never said anything about the woman uh, or about mummy? I, I, I think it's really interesting that, again, it's sort of internalized because I've got very vivid memories of when I was three, but a lot of people I talk to don't. And traumatic events, I remember them. But my brother, who is a year younger than me, doesn't. So it, it, I think the brain can work in, in two different ways. So perhaps she would, you know, as I say, because it's only a few weeks, yeah. months, we, we leave it. Perhaps she would, but I felt that she wouldn't, partly because, again, it would be, a, in my mind, it, some kids would and they'd talk and, and whatever. She draws pictures, but that's, it. I do think people deal with traumatic situations in different ways. And one of those ways is not speaking. And it's taken me a very long time to find my voice in writing novels to talk about stuff that I've never talked about before, you know. Um, so that was for me. And as I say, my brother's got no memory of some of the stuff that went on at all. Just... Yeah because they would have just thought that she wasn't they didn't know where she was and i loved kenny by the way i love I oh love i love kenny i love kenny as well wait remind I me about kenny it. remind me about kenny and he's the, the homeless guy homeless guy that finds her yes i love that he bought the hot chocolate like <laughs> he's based on somebody i actually know down by our local two station and um it's also that that's exactly how the media would treat him, you know, give him a makeover, but not give him any solid support. Mm. And uh, interestingly, so 10% of the uh, royalties for this book is going to um, uh, a children's charity. But one of the things in my mind when I wrote it was, would it go to uh, an ex-veterans charity? Uh, and the second book, 10% goes to the Samaritans. And again, it's an ex-veteran sort of, um, that again, that messes up with your mind, but I've decided the Samaritans because it's, you know, a, a 
you know, a jolly little tale of murder-suicide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're the sort of things I was exploring um, in the second book. Again, not a laugh a minute, but a few laughs in there, hopefully. <laughs> well, Tina Baker, we could carry on forever, um, but these moms, I can see, cannot will not be able yeah. to carry on forever. So um, I just want to say thank you for coming. You've made oh, me man. really welcome. I love yabbering, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, me too. I mean, I'm a mom. I'm going to be woken up at... 3.30, 4.30 and 5 a.m. again, but I could be here for the next three hours. I need to cut myself off. So <laughs> it was such a pleasure having you and my three co-hosts. Such a pleasure yeah. having you guys here as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Like I, like I say, please stick around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune out. Bettina Baker, thanks Hi. so much. Thanks for being on the show.